Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Andy Moore on the Motor Group Potline. This is going to be a new NFL show with the Athletic, along with Robert Mays. Our friend of the show, Zach Kiefer, joins us now. When does that thing fire up? Man, I was going to go with the aluminum bat, John, before we oh, uh, no. before we move on away from youth baseball. That no, was, the, uh, the pocket pouch on the jock strap, the most important you know, invention no. of all time in baseball. I ain't, I ain't arguing with you on that one, for sure. Um, first Monday of the season. Yeah, so, so Robert hosts the athletic football yep. show. His will go up Sunday night, and then I'm going to do the next day. So I'm going to do every Monday. It's going to be posted on Tuesday mornings. I'm really excited. I know some fans are probably glad they haven't had to hear me on podcasts the last couple of weeks, the last couple of months since I changed jobs, but it's going to be fun. I'm going to be able to keep my cap on the league, see what's going on, and, and the best part's going to be we're going to hear from our beat writers who know the teams as well as anybody. And, and you're doubling up today. you got two athletic writers yeah. on the show. My buddy James Boyd an hour ago. Uh, I imagine you grilled him on Jonathan Taylor's situation. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to talk to you about that as well because obviously you've covered this Colts team for a long period of time. And frankly, Zach, I think we're all a little bit tired of having to go through this. But do you have a, a prevailing theory about what's actually going on here with Jonathan Taylor and this situation as it stands? Yeah, I'm certainly not checking on this every day like I would have been if I was on the beat, but I feel you, man. The fatigue is real, and I feel it from the fan base, and I feel it from my guys in the media room having to cover this for the better part of four weeks, right? Like, this is exhausting. Um, it, it feels like this is fractured, right? It feels like there's no way back, and maybe I'm wrong on this. This is just my thoughts, but just trade him, man. Like, just trade him. Like, I don't think it's going to get better next year. If you can't get a long-term deal done, if he wants the moon and you're not going to give it to him, then you go down the franchise tag, right? And that just makes things even more, even more like animosity is going to be in those discussions. It just feels like, one, this isn't a team that's ready to win now, whether JT's on the field or not. They're not going to win this year. So you need to think about five years down the line. If you can pick up assets that are going to help you build around Anthony Richardson, that's probably the play. And, and the other thing I want to say is this, and this has been pointed out before, like it's not like the Colts don't want to pay Jonathan Taylor. That's sort of this national storyline that's pre- prevailing out there. It's like they're going to trade him because they don't want to pay him. No, man, like that's not what's happening. They just don't want to pay him right now. And I think that's the team's prerogative. One, he's got this mysterious ankle injury that, look, I was told in March he was working out. Like March. And then late July, he reports and he's not ready. And maybe there's a setback, but that's just weird to me. And, and if he's requesting a trade, that means he's ready to pass a physical, right? Like, that means he's ready to play. And if he's ready to play, why isn't he practicing right now for the team that he's under contract for? So it just feels like there's a lot of weirdness coming from the JT camp, like you and I have talked about, that just wasn't there four or five months ago. I don't really see an easy road back for this team this season with this player. Um, and, and you're not in a you know, situation where you're going to win the AFC South this year. I just don't see that for this team. I'd be happy to be wrong on that. But this is a team that stopped convincing itself that it's close. You're not close. You need to be thinking about long term. And if you're going to be picking in the top five in the draft in the spring, 
boy, it'd be nice to have a, another second rounder or another third rounder as well to build up this roster for the future. I say just trade him and move on. This just doesn't feel like there's a path forward with him on the roster. It's uh, Zach Key for the Athletic New Football Show Weekly with Robert Mays. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. Zach's kind enough to join us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So there are you know, many theories and thoughts on what is actually going on. Uh, one is that he was injured because the Colts floated out, you know, through both Stephen Holder and Mike Chappell about a month or so ago. You know, hey, you know, we can put him on the non-football related injury list. And then everybody got to think maybe he did something non-football related to injure himself in the offseason, whatever. It's not actually the ankle. Um, I don't tend to be in that category because of what you just explained. I tend to be in the category of, you know, you're doing this so you don't get fined. You're doing this so you don't lose money. You're doing this so you can still get paid. And you don't want to step foot on the field for a team that's not going to pay you right now. And that's where he stands. Which side of thinking would you be on with either one of these theories? Yeah, I'm with the latter. I'm with you. I think it's pretty clear what he's doing. He, He doesn't want to play for this team until he gets his money. I think that's pretty obvious. And the strange part is, you know, late April, these are his exact words. I put pen to paper. I made an obligation to this organization. And I understand the situation being he saw Braden Smith get paid. He saw Shaq Leonard get paid. He saw all these guys. Naheem Hines, his number two, got a nice deal, three for 21. He saw Naheem Hines get paid. He wants his. And every player deserves his. And JT's a tremendous player. And the fact that Jim Irsay told him, we're not ready to give you that right now. I think the team wanted to see this ankle back. They wanted to see him with Anthony Richardson in the backfield, and they wanted to see him in Shane Steichen's system. And I think that's fair on the team's part. It's absolutely allowed. It's absolutely the team's prerogative to do what they're doing. They have all the leverage right now. And I think JT was, one, surprised. And, two, I think he had his his sights set a little high. I think he wanted a market-setting deal. And that's just not going to happen. I don't think he's quite the player Derrick Henry is. And I don't think he's quite the player Christian McCaffrey is. And I think that's probably hard for him to understand. But I think you go back to that bus meeting with Jim Irsay, and I think Irsay told him, and the message was, look, just because we're not paying you now doesn't mean we don't intend to take care of you. I think he absolutely was in their plans, and they wanted to pay him. They just wanted to see how this ankle recovered, and they wanted to see how he fit in the system. And that's the moment this all went haywire with the trade requests, and things just haven't seemed to get any better ever since. So – Honestly, man, this is this is exhausting. I know it is for you. It's sad. It's sad that a player that fits so well with this city and that was such a great draft pick and was so instrumental in that team winning what they did in 20 and 21, it's come to this. I mean, his mural is on the side of the stadium, and he could be out of the city in less than 24 hours. So, Zach, tomorrow's the deadline um, from what was reported regarding the Colts to get something done. What's the logical Start to the season placement, in your in your opinion, for Jonathan Taylor. Is it someplace else, like in Miami, for example, in a trade? Is it you know coming back and magically being well again and, and being a part of this team? Or maybe even the Colts massaging it, which clearly they're not going to do financially. Or is it going to be start the season on PUP and kind of play this out from which the holding pattern we've been a part of for the last couple of weeks? Yeah, from what I know about Chris Ballard, he's going to wait. Like, this dude is going to wait, he's going to be patient, and he's going to tell these teams, I'm not making a move until I feel comfortable with the compensation. That's going to be the interesting part 
who blinks first, right? Another team or the Colts. I would love to see the second option, frankly, because I think it'd be really fascinating, right? Let's say the Colts don't trade him, and the Colts are saying, you need to play. And he needs to play eight games to get, right, yeah. to reach free agency next year. And right. then there's always the franchise tag, which would just be a whole nother mess. Like, wh- what's he going to do? Are you going to are you going to hold firm to this trade stance? Like, that would be just a continual bad look for him, in my opinion, if he just doesn't play, goes back on his word, and is supposedly healthy. That's a mess. That's a mess for this team. you got to feel for Anthony Richardson a little bit. He was supposed to have this guy in the backfield. They were going to scare teams with that backfield. That's what Jim Irsay wanted, Chris Ballard. And you got to feel for Shane Steichen as well. I remember talking with Shane right after the draft thinking, this is going to be fun. Now, it's not going to be perfect, but this is going to be fun with 28 and with Anthony Richardson in that same backfield. And now all he's been doing is answering questions about Jonathan Taylor not being out there. So um, send him to Miami, man. I think that's really fun in the AFC East. I think Miami needs a little bit more to get over that hump of Buffalo, possibly New England, obviously Rodgers in New York with the Jets. That's a really fun division. Throw JT in there see what happens and get some trade competition because this is just, I just don't see a way back for this team the way Jonathan Taylor's dug in. And this uh, just from Ian Rappaport, the Eagles signed cornerback Isaiah Rogers, who was then placed on the reserve suspended list. He's out for at least a year, violations of the league's gambling policy. So we were kind of asking ourselves after the Colts cut him and after he was suspended by the NFL for a season uh, for the violations of the gambling policy where the interest might be. And um, assuming here, somebody like Nick Sirianni knew him a little bit and you go ahead and sign him and uh, I guess stash him away as he pays the price for that violation. So is that surprising to you that the Eagles made that jump on Isaiah Rodgers or anybody did for that matter this early? No, I think the stigma is going to fade a little bit. You look at what Jacksonville did. They signed Calvin Ridley way early during the suspension, and he's crushing it. I was down there for camp a couple weeks ago, and Calvin Ridley was Calvin Ridley again, and that's going to help that offense. That's already really good with a quarterback. That yeah, was you could argue the Colts may, maybe should have ventured into that territory. I mean, especially considering their wide receivers. Yeah, exactly. That That's just not something they've done. And it's you've not. talked about that for years. But you, you tell me he wouldn't help this team right now? Yes. And then secondly, when it comes to Rodgers, like let's say this never happened. Let's say the gambling stuff never happened. Where is he at on the cornerback depth chart right now? I think he's starting. Like this guy has a ton of upside. He's played good football for them. Like – He's got a ton of upside. So the Colts probably didn't have a choice. You probably have to release him. But this is a smart move by Philly. Everyone's going to forget about it in 15 minutes. And then next season, when he's eligible again, they're going to say, oh, we've got this young corner. He didn't cost us a thing. And he's got a chance to fight for a roster spot. Maybe, maybe another really shrewd move by Howie Roseman, who's who's won the Colts over before in certain moves, if you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Well... That is very true right there. Zach Kiefer joins us. So you think if, let's say, for example, hypothetically, Jonathan Taylor were to be traded and get an extension in an hour, do you think tomorrow he'd be ready to go for practice? Man, that's a bad look for him. But, no, it wouldn't surprise me. That's how this league works. Um, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on with this ankle that was supposed to be healed. EJ Speed had the same surgery, if I'm not mistaken, and he was on the field for the very start of training camp. I understand setbacks happen. I understand all of that. But if he's on the field within a couple of days of getting traded, that's just that's just a bad look, man. At least come out and be honest about what's going on. Um, I think the Colts have him on pup so they can 
avoid finding them and avoid making this worse. So that's a tough spot for the team. But, I mean, after everything you've seen over the last couple of years, would you be surprised? No, absolutely not. No, no. that's 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 been my call. I, I think that what we have seen, I, I, I think this is, I think this is a, uh, this is kind of uh, a hold in of sorts right here. And uh, it, it's yeah. dangerous territory being on the air and saying it that way. But given the path we have taken to get here over the years. I feel comfortable in saying it because all this wild ass stuff that we've talked about in the past, no way this is true, all became true. And I think this will too. Yeah. And, and the, the strange thing is, is, is everything he said in the off season, when we talked to him, he hinted at, he would be here contract or no contract extension, and he was going to be ready to go. And I've look, I've covered players that have said they're going to be ready to go and they weren't ready to go. The city knows that as well as any city out there. However, it's just weird that the team was fully expecting him to be ready. The team, who's talked to the metal experts who have looked at his ankle, JT was training in March, in, in, in April, in Arizona at Exos, in April. And I know that setbacks can happen, but it was absolutely the team's expectation he would be ready for training camp. And, and maybe something happened, but it's been six weeks, right? It's been four weeks. It's been three weeks, and, and he hasn't been on the field I don't think he's on the field. I don't think he's not on the field because he can't be on the field. I think physically that's probably good to go. It's, it's the other stuff. It's the contract that's holding him back. The Colts have kind of tried to acquiesce and make this better. First saying they're not going to trade him, now saying he can go look for a deal. That's going to be a bad look for Jonathan Taylor. And, and I think it's going to have to swallow the fact that he's not going to get a top-end running back deal. He's going to get a good one. Let's be honest, he's a fantastic player. But we're talking a record-setting deal for running back. I don't even know what that looks like anymore. If Christian McCaffrey couldn't get a one for his trade, Taylor's not going to get a one and then get a contract on top of that that sets the market. I just feel like he's shooting for the moon and he's going to have to land somewhere beneath that. But if he's ready to go and if he plays for another team in the opener 13 days from now, that's just a really bad look and that's a sad end. To what could have been a really good career here. He's got, as you mentioned a little bit earlier, eight games he needs to be a part of to become a free agent um, in 2024, which, by the way, is going to be a market saturated with running backs, of which most teams out there don't really have a great deal of interest in. So that should be interesting, too. Yeah, Jacobs, Saquon, both are playing on one-year deals right now, if I'm not mistaken. And then Taylor, if he hits the market. Now, remember... They're all tremendous players, but again, they're high-end in terms of age at that position, and, and teams are just very, very, very hesitant to pay running backs big second contracts. We'll see. They're tremendous players, but these guys might have to settle for two-year deals when they went four-year deals. Zach Kiefer, The Athletic, has a new NFL show along with Robert Mays of The Athletic. Weekly, you can catch it again. And Zach's via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Um, and I want to ask you about the Colts wide receivers. I brought this up a little bit earlier because um, Anthony Richardson, obviously, uh, it's all about his development here in this season. There's no question about that. But, you know, you look at the wide receivers and while I know everybody likes Michael Pittman Jr., they want to see him around. He's going to end up getting an extension at some point at the end of the year, uh, offseason, whatever. Um, Alec Pierce is still a guy that I think people like. You see, you still see a lot of the same stuff, though. And I'm talking yeah. in terms of they could not separate from you. And that's such a huge issue because you got a, a very inexperienced rookie quarterback with the strongest arm in the world, and he's going to try to force it into just an inch of window here. And that's 
that's not not good. It, why have these guys never been able to get the type of separation that is necessary? Really, regardless of whomever's taking them on at the moment. You know, they they've never had a splash at that receiver position. Not since Chris Bauer took over. Michael Pittman's a good player. I don't think he's a one. I don't think the Colts view him as a one. We'll see how contract negotiations go next year. But the one guy, I do think Josh Downs is going to help this year. I really think over the middle that's going to help a young quarterback. It's easier to hit those over-the-middle throws than the sideline ones. But I think so much of this year for Richardson depends on Pierce. And I was talking to a scout a couple weeks ago who's familiar with Pierce, and he said, I think Pierce could be Richardson's best friend because if you're – a young, inexperienced, big-armed quarterback, what do you want? You want big, right? You want big catch radius. You want guys who can go up and get it in tight coverage. Now, that's what Pierce is supposed to be. I know he's had an up-and-down camp, but I really think that, you know, it really matters when the games start, right? Like, I'm not going to sweat the preseason. I really think Pierce is going to be central to where we evaluate Richardson at the end of this 17-game season because if he can have some big home-run plays with Pierce, that's going to open up more in the run game. If not, if they're just a, if they're just, if the teams are just preparing for Richardson's legs, that's going to really, really close down some running lanes for him. Yeah. He's going to be tremendous at certain points. I expect that, and he's also going to look at the other side of the spectrum a lot. Like I think there's going to be some moments where you're like, whoa, I don't know about that. But I think Pierce, if he can get some sideline catches going, if he can get some deep balls, if they can get some explosives going. That's going to help Richardson immensely. He's got to hold on to the ball. He didn't do that in that first preseason game against Buffalo. He's got to do that, and he's got to be more of a threat. And I think this is a big year for Pierce. His success will translate into success for the young quarterback. Yeah, and and really, Alec Pierce hadn't looked good in the moments in which he's had that opportunity. And you're right, the the down the field touch pass is what Anthony Richardson can't do right now. It's just if it's not going to be Alec Pierce, then who the hell is it going to be? Uh, and so that that's goes back to your original question: yeah. like, why isn't there someone to do that? Why isn't there? It's just it's funny. So many people tell me that you can see right now Chris Ballard and his philosophy evolving, you know, changing to what is a modern NFL era way of consistently winning, and then there are some aspects where it doesn't look like he's changing whatsoever. Yeah, I think it is changing. I've had this conversation with Chris a lot. Like, he will admit, I'm stubborn. I'm stubborn as heck, man. And and we've seen that. You've talked about this. But I do think you learn the lessons. And when they do their self-scout in February and March and April, when they look at what they've done and what's not worked, I think, you know, Chris always says this, like, you guys watch the same games we do. Like, we can tell where this league is going. And I've had this conversation with Frank Reich as well. Like, you look at the teams that win every year, and like four of the five teams, you know, the four of the four in the conference finals this last year are top eight offenses. Like, you have to be able to score. And Ursay talks about this a lot. And they've got this almost like back 1990s mindset that, that they're just stuck on. And, and I think Shane Steichen represents a change in that, a change in that philosophy. But you go back, you know, an off-ball linebacker is one of your highest-paid players. A left guard is one of your highest-paid players. A running back was going to be one of your highest-paid players, and, and all of a sudden that became a mess. So I think they're starting to learn that. It's not easy to make that transition, but I'll tell you who will help make that transition. He plays wide receiver for Ohio State right now, and if they're up there in the draft and they're not looking to take a quarterback because they like what they saw from Richardson this year, boy, Marvin Harrison Jr. would change that really fast. I was at his pro day watching C.J. Stroud in the spring – 
and it was obvious who the best player on the field was, and it was not C.J. Stroud. Marvin Harrison Jr. looks and runs and moves and catches like his dad, only he's four inches taller. So I know this is a pipe dream, and I know it's easy to put the pieces together because wherever his dad played, but they need that. Don't you think that would just completely transform that wide yeah. room? Uh, and, and in unfortunately, it hasn't been since yeah. T.Y. Hilton's younger days. Yeah, and unfortunately, I think that would take a level of good fortune this team hasn't, this organization hasn't seen since like 2012. So, you know, right. I mean, even in the yeah. bad, I mean, to try to consider to be as fortunate as it would take to be able to do that. But they, I, I think it still stands to reason. Do you think Chris Ballard's philosophy on wide receivers has it evolved as much as as maybe it has in other aspects? And the other thing is, you know, an offensive line where it was always preached because you covered every single presser every day. Oh, yeah. Depth, 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 inside out in depth, and they have really less than zero right now without injury to Pinter. Man, I thought it was bad last year. Yeah. Like, I remember writing last year after they joined with the Lions, like, like this is a problem. I, Matt Pryor, I remember being like, I don't know how I feel about him at the position he's at. And everyone's kind of saying they'll be fine. Quentin and Ryan will lift them up. Well, how did that go? And, and like you said, like, Depth matters because every fan listening to your show right now has watched this team play the last couple of years, and they know what happens when one guy goes down, let alone these guys like playing poorly. Like Ryan Kelly has, has, has not played well for like a year and a half. So not only do you need those guys to stay healthy, you need them to play much better than they've played. So that's a question. And, and, and it's not – I mean, this is a pessimistic view, but it's not hard to see. It's not hard to envision. With this running back situation being what it is and the offensive line questions, especially the depth being zero, like you said, Anthony Richardson having to run for his life way more than you want from a rookie quarterback. Yeah, and the other aspect of it, too, um, and this is going to be the positive for the negative, uh, and the positive would be you would expect, and we'll see if we see it, um, you know, major movement from both Quiddy Pay and Dio Adengbo. And and that that would be necessary because we've gone over the years before, not since Robert Mathis, has anybody consistently come off the edge and given that type of quarterback pressure that is necessary. And it was necessary in the days when you had a guy like Stephon Gilmore. It's even now more necessary considering you don't have that guy and the inexperience really in a secondary, Zach, if you want to look at it right now to start the season, it might be viewed as the worst or certainly among the group of the worst in the NFL. Yeah. I, I don't want to look at the secondary. Like I it would scare me. Um, they, they made, they, they made their bed. They're going to have to live with it. And maybe these guys will play up, but yeah, you're right. It's absolutely imperative that Quiddy takes a step forward. And the hurricane that they, they drafted in, in 2021 that they loved. I mean, they loved them in the second round. And I'm telling you right now, they loved them in the first round, but they couldn't take them there because of the injury. Like, where's the hurricane been? Like, you need, to, you need to see it. It's year three. There's no more excuses. You need to see it because that secondary is so young and so untested. But also, like, when you're a first-round pick, you need, to become, you need to become a consistent starter, borderline, like, best player in the team at that position. And, and they – I mean, you know, I've kind of blocked out last season at the end with the, with the defense just because it was such a terrible season to be involved in. But I think Quiddy took steps but I just haven't seen that game-changing ability yet. I think every fan out there that's, that's listening has yet to see that, where you strike fear in the offensive line simply because this guy's on the field. The Mathis, the Freeney, 
I mean, Eric Walden had a couple moments where he took over games. I mean, they haven't had that in a long time. They need that. Even Justin Houston in Frank Reich's tenure had some really nice moments and some really nice games where he, that Chiefs game in 2019, essentially won the game at the end for them. They haven't had that with a defensive line. They need those two to step up. And if not, then what are you doing? You don't really have a really bright future at receiver. You don't have a really bright future at edge rusher. Your offensive line has question marks. I mean, those are three of the most important positions in the modern game right now behind quarterback, and you've got major questions. So that's something Jim Mercer is going to want to have answered. You're, you're right, man. I, I don't know how I feel about the receivers, but I'm certainly needing the, the pass rush to step up this season because these guys, this, this, it's put up or shut up time for those two. I'm assuming that you and Robert Mays will have this conversation. I'm going to catch your thoughts before I cut you loose with Zach Kiefer here on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, is that the the top quarterbacks drafted from Bryce Young to C.J. Stroud to Anthony Richardson are starting. Who would you believe to be the quarterback among that group of rookies under center that will have the best season? So I have an answer for you, but it has a caveat. Like I think it's Bryce Young, and I think there's a pretty wide gap in their ability to be ready. I think he's the most ready, and I think he's the most savvy. But I don't love Carolina's offensive line. I just really don't. And I feel like he's going to be running for his life. And what's the other draft knock on him, right? He's small, man, and like he takes one of those hits. I'm not so sure he's going to pop right back up in the sense that I would expect C.J. Stroud to, and certainly Richardson because he's built like a truck. Um, I like Stroud's accuracy, but I don't feel like there's a lot around him in Houston to like. And Richardson, we've talked a lot about that. He's going to have some wow moments. Those are going to be really fun. And he's going to have some head-scratching interceptions like he did in that first game against the Bills. But I think C.J. Stroud is the most pro-ready, and with McCown and with Frank Reich and with Adam Thielen at receiver. He's got a lot to like on that offense. I just don't love when a rookie quarterback is playing behind an offensive line with some serious questions. They could win eight games and still win the division, though. So I think, see, I think, uh, excuse me, I think Bryce Young is the answer because he's the most pro-ready and he's the most savvy in the pocket. He can handle the chaos a little bit more than the others. But it could be Richardson, man. He could be the guy with some early hiccups. I mean, he could come into his own. And I think Steichen's scheme could really play a part in that that's going to be the fun part it would have been a lot easier with 28 in the backfield but i'm not i'm not ruling richardson out because he's got so much potential yeah you look around the nfl too among the crap water teams of a year ago which one will make the the major stride and force itself into a postseason berth who do you got does pittsburgh count i kind of like pittsburgh because i feel like they're they're, they're just – they don't bottom out. They're just right there. And I What about like Denver? No, I'm not buying Denver. I'm just not buying Russell Wilson, man. Makes sense. You did, uh, that was like one of the worst games we've ever seen on that Thursday night. Really, anybody's ever seen covered, in the Colts win. I have covered some awful games, and that – I mean, that might have been like you, – you, that might have been the top. That might have been the worst football game I've ever – the worst sporting event I've ever covered in my life. Oh, terrible. Uh, you and Robert May start an NFL weekly show. Tell us about it. Yeah, easy to find. The Athletic Football Show feed. We've got shows every day. I'll be hosting the Monday show, which will go up Tuesday. It'll be a different look. We'll have the beat writers on from the games, and I'll ask them what they saw at the game, what they heard in the locker room, all the stuff behind the scenes that's, that's the most valuable, right? So it's going to be a lot of fun. We'll get our pulse on the league from, from those who know it the best, from those that are in the press box, in the locker rooms, on the field before the games. 
and yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. I'm still going to be doing my long form stories as well. I've got a lot coming out, including one that Colts fans are going to freaking love. Um, it's about one of the most underrated offensive coaches in NFL history. He was here for a long time, Tom Moore. Um, the man coached Lynn Swan and John Stallworth and Chris Carter and Barry Sanders, Peyton, Marvin, Edgerin, Tom Brady in Tampa, Larry Fitzgerald in Arizona. And I'm telling you, man, I have I had some stories told to me for this story that, I mean, me and Peyton were cracking up on the phone talking about Tom Moore. So one of my most favorite stories I've done in the last couple of years, it was just incredible to hear about this man's coaching journey and how he would coach these guys back when the Colts were winning a lot of games every single year. Uh, the, the quote, and this is not the exact quote, but in, in terms of you know having a developed, suitable backup, and I was always against it because I always thought in the Manning era here it didn't matter. With all due respect to Jim Sorge, uh, and it was Tom Moore that had the quote, right, that we don't practice yep. like FUBAR or something like that. What was the exact quote? Yeah, I can't I can't say it on your show because I get yep. signed, but uh, we Bl- don't practice. Being blanked up or something uh, like that? Yeah. I, f- I finally got to ask Peyton about that, and, and he heard about the quote as well, and he, his response is in the story as well. Um, just just tremendous stuff. Like, if you love great football, this story is awesome because Tom Moore's been around a lot of it. And, you know, some people in the story said he's one of the more underrated play callers in NFL history. So the man's still coaching, and he's 84 years old. <laughs> he was very much known when he was here to have a glass or two of wine at the Boathouse Grill off of 56th Street, not too yes, far sir, away from the, back with, in the day. With a couple, couple of ice cubes in it. The yeah. only other guy I know that would do that, Mike Chappell, will have a couple of ice cubes <laughs> with his Coors Light. I saw that did two shows at the boathouse back in the day and uh both of those shows he sat literally uh three feet away from me at the bar and enjoyed a, a glass of wine and then left so yeah, yeah. sounds about right yeah, yeah. One all of the, good one of the great yep hey zach i appreciate you man we'll uh check in throughout the course of the season thank you sounds good thanks john whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Right now on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline from The Athletic, you hear him all the time and you will hear the foreseeable future, along with Jake Query in the afternoons from noon until 3. James Boyd joins us. Hello, James. How you doing? I'm doing good. Excited for what's to come or what's not to come, you know, in these next 24 hours. Do you uh, do any pickup basketball over the weekend? I did not. And the reason why I don't do pickup basketball right now is because I'm scared I'll be playing basketball and something might happen with JT. Imagine being at the gym and your laptop's at home and things are happening. Oh, you got to take it with you, man. Just put that there on the sideline. I know, I know, but it's, it's, it's just a stressful time. I'm scared to get a haircut because I'm like, what if I'm in the chair and something happens? So I need tomorrow to come to get peace of mind again, whatever happens. All right. Uh, we've all bounced around with uh, more than a handful of theories on this. Where do you presently stand as far as what you believe to be an end result to this? I've been in the camp the last week or so of he will still be an Indianapolis Colts after tomorrow at 4 p.m., because I think that it's just a lot to ask to try to acquire him. You have to give up trade, I mean, compensation, draft picks most likely, a player or two, and then you also have to consider the contract extension. So I think that those are all factors 
that would make this to be. Sorry, I'm outside at the Colts facility right now. There's a airplane going overhead. But, um, yes, I think that overall it's a lot to ask of getting him, and I think it's easier to just keep him. James Boyd of the Athletics on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. So, I, I know I, I don't want to put you in a bad spot because I've been one to say that I, I think that if, if there were a, a new deal and extension signed today that he would practice tomorrow, which certainly has me in, in the side of thinking that he's not injured. But do you believe him to be injured and unready to play regardless of the circumstances by tomorrow? I don't know what to believe. I would lean towards yes. I mean, I just don't understand how any of this could really work. I mean, I guess you could say that maybe he's using the ankle and the pup list to just hold out. But we will find out tomorrow, and that's the beauty of it. I think that the biggest thing everyone keeps looking at is, oh, will he get moved? The other thing is, is he healthy? And I think we get a definitive answer tomorrow because if you miss those first four games of the year, obviously you're not healthy. So we've seen Kyler Murray, I think, on the list today. We got announced that he's going to be going to the public start this season, and JT could be the second star yeah. or high caliber player to do so. I just don't know, you know, what to believe at this point. I feel like I'm just in a in a in a never ending circle of this hamster wheel. I'm trying to get off it as soon as possible. Yeah, and, and that I would get that's probably going to be the most logical out of this, and be down for the first four weeks of the season. What do you think they're getting? They're asking price reportedly was a first round selection, and I have noted that I bet they're getting lowballed the hell out of right now. But what types of interest and in, in maybe some of those uh, deals that they have, have shot down, what, what do you think that involves? How close are they getting actually what they would like out of this if something were to be done? So I've been of the mindset this is not really an opportunity for them to try to shop JT. I think it's more so like, hey, we're going to jack the price up for you so that no one really wants to come after you and we still get to keep you. So I don't think that this is a legitimate, um, you know, route for them. I think they open the door to make it seem better from the optics standpoint. It's like, oh, we're not going to tell you what you're, you know, not worth anymore. We're going to let the rest of the league tell you what you're not worth. And if they're not meeting what we want for you, then, hey, you'll still be here. So what what do you think? I mean, in in this case, though, um, do you think they would be hardcore set on a first-rounder? If somebody offered up a first-rounder, today would they take that i think so i do think if they offer the first round i just don't think anybody is offering the first round because that's not reporting that's just like like logic you know there's no doubt i mean for a for a running back especially one that's supposedly injured right now you would take that so exactly and i do think that the only teams that would really consider giving up a first round pick are the teams that are close to winning a championship i feel like they're a player away from making a run and if you look at some of the names that have been out there I mean, Miami's probably the, the best team that's been in these, uh, these, these discussions or been in these uh, reports, but they're, I don't think they're a player away from being a championship team. I don't think they're right there on the doorstep. They haven't been to like an, you know, a championship game anytime in recent memory. So I just, I'm saying all I have to say, I think that, again, this is a way to um, sort of have his value. Similar to how Lamar Jackson was with the Ravens, we'll let you try to fill the market. It won't work, and then he'll be back with us. Yeah, I, I thought, you know, obviously you brought up the Ravens, Miami. I agree with you. It just doesn't seem like, and I would also agree that you, you place your price tag so high that nobody is even going to approach it. I mean, let's face it. I mean, what are you really going to get out of this if you were to get something out of it? 
A fourth rounder? I think, I think, I, I mean, the most realistic option I could see is maybe like a second and a fifth, you know, and I, maybe I would take that if I was the Colts because, you know, you got JT in the second round to begin with, but that's probably as good as it's going to get in my opinion. Maybe, maybe a second and a third, but I mean, who's going to give that up? So um, I'm leaning more towards what you're saying where it's like, a middle to late round pick, but you're not going to give that up for JT, even if he is hurt, because, you know, you want that guy. You want him, whenever he's available, to be on your team. What's the word on Jelani Woods right now? I know torn hamstring. How did all this occur? And uh, how long of a, of a path does he have? Because I, I, I consider him the logical guy to play that in the Steichen offense, the Dallas Goddard role that we saw in Philadelphia when he was the offensive coordinator. But with his injury, that certainly puts a cloud over absolutely everything. Where is he in terms of trying to get back from that right now? I'm actually not sure. I know that Nate Atkins from Indy Star reported yesterday, I believe, that he tore his hamstring. I've always just been on the side of, hey, it's a hamstring injury. I go to what the coaches tell me. But I will have to ask Shane Steichen about that. Um, and get an update because if we didn't talk to him in the last couple of days. We'll talk to him, obviously, after cut day and things like that to see where Jelani is. Jelani will not be cut, obviously. But it is concerning because he's missed almost the entire offseason with this hamstring injury. And so he said that he was 100% ready to go when training camp started after having some hamstring issues throughout OTAs and, and rookie uh, veteran minicamp, rather. But now, you know, you just wonder about the tight end room you know, he was supposed to be the guy that would kind of take a leap, and we just haven't even seen what he's capable of because he hasn't been out there. So it, I, it's crazy to say, but I do think that right now, you know, week one depth chart, it might be Drew Ogletree starting, you know, or Colin Granton over Jelani Woods. Is his conditioning and shape, and, and you can make uh, the obvious thought that, well, he's got a hamstring injury, so why wouldn't it? But has his conditioning and being in shape been a question throughout this offseason too? Jelani Woods, no. It, it hasn't been a question or an issue at all. He actually lost weight, I believe, to get leaner so he can get out of, and out of breaks and stuff quicker. I think it's just bad luck, honestly. And what's weird about it is, you know, a lot of these guys had hamstring issues, you know, that kind of flared up. You know, Will Mallory, I believe, was out for a while with a hamstring. Julius Brents had a hamstring. Darius Rush had a hamstring. Julian Blackman had a hamstring. So a lot of these guys are pulling their hamstrings or worse and missing a bunch of time. So you just hope that you know, you take your time to come back from it because hamstrings are tricky. Like, you know, however long it takes, make sure you take as long as it takes so you can get back out there and at full strength. So, James Boyd of the Athletic with us, how deep of a dive do you expect them to do as far as backup offensive linemen are concerned, especially with the Danny Pinter ankle injury done for the season news over the weekend? Yeah, I expect some definitely to see some moves made, you know, that Wednesday this week, or, you know, where you can kind of get your first waiver request in and pick some guys up. I think that's, that's crucial for them. It was already an issue before Danny Pinter, Danny Pinter went down, and now it's been, you know, sort of uh, expanded in, in a sense. So I do think that that's got to be a priority. And I will venture as far as to say this is something that could bite them in the butt because everyone has said for so long, whether it's media, fans, whoever else, you have to address the offensive line. The offensive line needs more depth. And I get it. It's hard to get depth in the NFL at the offensive line spot. I get that. But to not really address it and only hire a different coach um, and expect things to just be better, I don't know about that approach. So you better be right. Like, you better come through this season and hope that guys can stay healthy and the guys that you do have will step up. Otherwise, 
everyone's going to point the finger at you and tell you, I told you so. Hey, James, is funny. This predates you being here, but yeah, the first the first moment six plus years ago, Chris got here. He said, you can't be about you know one guy on the team, meaning you can't be about the quarterback, meaning Andrew Luck. And that's at the time when he thought he's going to have Andrew Luck for the long-term future. So you feel, you feel more secure in, in making that particular statement at that moment. And then it's always been about depth. And the blueprint has been about depth from working inside out and depth on the offensive line. And man, so many of these things, so many of these thoughts, uh, desires, so many of these uh, blueprints of how you wanted to build a team have gone completely opposite for Chris Ballard. And this offensive line, especially with the depth, is right at the top of the list. Absolutely. I think that that's one of those things where you can't keep getting a pass for it. You know, you have had some strange experiences, some strange circumstances throughout your career, but at this, or throughout your tenure, rather, here in Indianapolis, if you're Chris Ballard. But again, at some point, you have to look at the results, and it's a results based business. Now, you have to think how many GMs would have survived all these changes, anyways, you know, a new head coach and what was it, three coaching searches and, you know, drafting a rookie quarterback in the first round and, you know, all those things, at some point you have to look at what is being put on the field and what results you're getting and judge him off of that. Well, I mean, it, it's funny. You can compare that. And then think about a guy like John Lynch. And people are saying, wow, look at all he gave up for Trey Lance. And now you end up trading him. Didn't work out. You get a fourth rounder from Dallas in return. But they've had a high level of success. And, you know, I, I think to me, what what Ballard had envisioned six plus years ago here is the product that San Fran has had on the field. Maybe not so much, you know, from a skill position player standpoint, but certainly with defense, with offensive line, with, you know, the, the, the quarterback steady type of play. That's what Ballard has envisioned. And John Lynch gets to survive. And again, most guys would not survive. Just like Ballard, most guys would not have survived going into year seven with a lack of results. Without the results, John Lynch making that type of deal for and then giving up on Trey Lance would not survive either. Oh, not at all. I mean, his biggest saving grace is Brock Purdy and the fact that they're winning. And again, winning solves everything. I know people are killing them. Oh my gosh, you gave up so much for Trey Lance and you know, you went all in on this guy and gave up all these picks and it didn't work out. But the reason why they haven't been fired and the reason why I don't think it's that big of a deal really is because they're winning. During the season, they win. I mean, the 49ers the last few years in and out, they're always in contention, and so that matters. And I think the difference, obviously, between them and the Colts is the Colts have not contended for much of anything, you know, throughout the years, or at least recently, you know, since the Peyton Manning years. So I think that that's the biggest thing that is saving their job. And quite honestly, if they say that, I mean, they can't say that. If they come out and say, hey, we win, we win, though, that's a difference. They made it to the NFC Championship game last year, so you got to give them a pass. So James Boyd of The Athletic with us. So – this is going to be one of those years where you look at uh, Odenbo, you look at Quiddy Pay, as mm-hmm. you, you, now it's time to become what they thought you could be when they drafted you. This is this season, correct, for both? Absolutely. I think that it's a huge year for both. I mean, Quiddy was on his way to having a really good season last year, then he got his ankle messed up, similar to Jonathan Taylor, actually, where he missed, I believe, five or six games. And, and so – you want him to stay healthy and, and dominate. And I think he can be a very impactful edge rusher. Same with Dio. But this is the year. I think this is the year for a lot of players. Looking at this roster and the reason why, you know, we've kind of harped 
on JT. His contract extension will be on that. They haven't extended anybody. They haven't given any money to anybody. I think this is a big evaluation year for everyone involved because they want to see what Anthony Richardson does before they invest in other things and kind of figure out what their next steps are. So I think it's a huge year for, you know, the edge rusher, the huge year for Shaq Leonard who's coming back from injury. You know, he's owed a lot of money. In the second half of his contract, he could be released next year and, and that could save them a ton of money. So, again, this is a, this is a do-or-die year, I think, for so many players. Do they have uh, any level of concern at all from, again, Quentin Nelson with that group, but Quentin Nelson, too, coming off a not-good season whatsoever. And then the back-to-back penalties, I know it was the preseason, but it was magnified because we were all sitting there watching it in the preseason. Mm-hmm. They had their starters out there. Uh, are there any concerns there? As far as their left guard is concerned, somebody else in a non-essential NFL position that earns a huge check? No, I don't think it is. I think that obviously, like you said, it caught everyone's attention because it's like, man, you took away this great run from Anthony Richardson and you're messing up already. But I think that he's going to have, if anybody on that offensive line, at least in my opinion, is going to have a bounce back here, it's him because of his age and also the way he's played throughout his career. Now, I don't know what was going on with Quentin last year. Like, in particular, the reason why he didn't play up to par. But, I mean, again, given his age, his trajectory, which is a Hall of Fame trajectory, by the way, uh, if he keeps it up, I think that he's the most likely to bounce back. James Boyd of the Athletics on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. What type of run-pass ratio might we see, let's just say, for example, in the first month of the season for Anthony Richardson under center or, or not under center for the Colts at quarterback. What's that ratio, in your opinion, going to look like? Man, it's probably at least 60% run, I would think, 40% pass. I think that a lot of this stuff is going to be read options, zone reads, RPOs, those types of things, play action, to, to give him that option if he needs to to use his legs. Now, um, he's has to – learn how to slide and make sure he uses, you know, the sliding ability. I know we haven't seen it so far. Um, I'm sure they're teaching him all of those things because at some point you got to use it as a quarterback. He's on the shoulder right now, which is fun and exciting, but we saw that with Andrew Luck as well. So keep him protected by all, you know, means. But, again, you have to be able to run it, I think, with him and sort of do what Jalen Hurts did during his first year as a full-time starter in Philly where – they just kind of had him be a game manager rather than someone they relied on as like the focal point passer, you know, in their offense. I said this on Friday um, that it, it needs to be all hands on deck in terms of, of helping the quarterback out. And like Kylan Granson, for example, was a, a great one that went up and caught a pass on Thursday night, you know, outside of where his catch window radius was going to be, went up and got it. Uh, far too many times with Alec Pierce, we have seen him not do that. And here's the other thing that stands out to me, and I don't know if you did as well, but watching the wide receivers here, we've talked about over the years, even prior to you getting here, this group cannot get any space, create any space whatsoever. And that still seems to be the case with them. How concerning is that? It is concerning. I would say that Alec Pierce had a rough preseason showing in the games because what's weird about it is during the joint practices, during the training camp days, he looked pretty good. But obviously what matters is the game and going up with different you know, opponents in live action. And it just felt like, those 50-50 balls, he never came down with one of them. And I believe, if my stats are correct, he might have been targeted five or six times in preseason and didn't have a catch for any of them. And on that last game, he was targeted three times and didn't have a catch at all. Dropped the one, obviously, in Buffalo. So I think that he's had a rough preseason, and he has to bounce back. you know. And also, 
everyone's talking about his expanded route tree, and I've seen it during training camp, but does it translate? Because if you're not going to catch the 50-50 balls on the outside, the deep balls, why they drafted you, I mean, what good is the other stuff you're trying to add if you can't do the one thing that you actually were supposed to be good at from the jump? So that's definitely concerning. And then the wide receiver room overall, it's not a great one. I think Josh Downs gives him a little bit of flavor, different type of feel. He can get open, but even he had a drop. You know, I get it. He's a rookie, but at the same time, your job is to catch the receiver and – they didn't really help him too much, uh, that is Anthony Richardson, um, during the game against Philly where some of those throws and some of those uh, you know, plays could have been made by wide receivers. They just didn't make them. And sometimes that was, that's what the NFL is sometimes. It's my, I'm better than your guy. My dude is better than your dude. Uh, does, does Josh Downs, does that mean Isaiah McKenzie doesn't make this team or is he going to be solid here right now? I'll give you a great example. Michael Pittman Jr., Alec Pierce, Josh Downs, um, Isaiah McKenzie, we've we've seen them jettison both Washington and Perriman. What does that mean, for example, for a guy like Mike Strawn? I haven't seen his name as of yet. And I haven't seen Jawan Winfrey as of yet. I don't know if you have either, who also made a little bit of noise at that position in the preseason. Where are they as far as positioning to try to make this team? Anywhere near? Right. I think that Isaiah and obviously Josh and all those guys are safe. The, the, the four that are safer. Alec Pierce, Pittman, Downs, and McKenzie. But I do think, like you said, that, that there are other players out there that might need consideration. And I think that one of them could be Juwan Winfrey. He's, a, he's one that I've actually talked to about life on the edge of the NFL and kind of that waiting game and doing everything you can to succeed. And he had a pretty good showing in the preseason where it makes you wonder, okay, with some of these guys be reportedly being let go, the James Washington and, and others, could he be a guy that supplants Mike Strong? Because to me – Mike Strawn is, is in a kind of a bad spot where he had a another pretty good, you know, preseason and training camp. But, I mean, he's done it every year. He, it has never translated. So would that make the Colts think, okay, we know this guy at some point really has never clicked. Will we roll it out to somebody else instead and kind of see, you know, if we can get something out of those guys before we get something out of him? So that's really my biggest thing is just I, I understand that, you know, you, you want to re- go with guys you know, but Strawn – and then on top of that, he pulled his groin during the, the during the preseason. So he's out. He's been injured. And then you know that usually after, you know, when September starts, he's no longer that guy you saw in the preseason. Hey, James, do they like Arlington Hambright or do they like him out of necessity right now? I think it's more so the latter, out of necessity. What I do give him credit, though, we talked a lot about, you know, that offensive line, the depth that they didn't have. And I do think that when he was called upon – um, during the joint practices in a few games. Uh, James just disappeared. James, our producer, needs to check that line and try it again. <laughs> Arlington Hambright, huh? Is he back on? He just stinking disappeared. They are in a spot. Seems like we're always in this spot, but they're in a spot in terms of depth on the offensive line. And you get to know others a little bit more uh, just out of necessity. Somebody makes a team out of necessity over anything else. You guys are asking about Mo Alley-Cox. I'll bring that up in just a second. Uh, We'll get back to the tail end of one of the backup possibilities here that looks pretty strong from a making-the-team standpoint in 
Arlington Hambride as James Boyd from the Athletic rejoins on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Finish off that thought on Hambride, if you would. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, got to pay my phone bill, but I do think that he has to um, be considered to make this 53-man roster and be sort of a dark horse candidate because I thought that he held his own and proved uh, that he could, when called upon, be at least a spot type of relief guy on the offensive line. Yeah, it just kind of seems like that he's thrust into this situation because I didn't ask you about Mo Ali Cox. Um, does you think the situation with the hamstring to Jelani Woods has a profound effect on Mo Ali Cox when maybe he wouldn't make this team, but now he probably does? It definitely would have an effect on him if you know Jelani had to start the year on pup and missed the first four games. But I feel like Mo Ali Cox is just that one where. I was too scared in my projections to say that he wouldn't make the team. I just feel like uh, he's always kind of been there. But I hear all the fans telling me and other, you know, uh, analysts where they, they've kind of weighed in like, hey, if you're going to go young, why not just go with Will Mallory because you already know what you have in Molly Cox. But um, I do think that his spot is way less secure than in years past because last year at this time, we weren't even thinking about Molly Cox being cut. But this year, I think it's a real possibility. All right, James, final thing too. There's so much, I know, negative goes into a lot of what the Colts going on around them, you know, season, predicted wins and such. But somebody brought up a question a little bit earlier, and this is a season in which I talked about, you know, both Quiddy Pay and and Dial Adempo with you, you know, finally making something, you know, turning into transitioning into something the Colts thought when they drafted them. And, And that would be important considering the secondary. Might we look at this secondary to start the season as the NFL's worst. Is that fair? I think that is definitely a conversation that needs to be had. And it's because they're super inexperienced. I know all these guys are confident. All these guys have stories. All these guys have fought to get there, especially this room because a lot of these guys are undrafted um, or rookies. But, I mean, if I'm being honest, I wouldn't expect them to be really good because they haven't played. I mean, there's going to be some growing pains for sure. And that's the term that Gus Bradley continues to use. So I think that he knows and everyone knows it's going to be rough and they're going to be tested a lot by defenses because they just haven't seen a lot. All right. uh, Following the phone, when when do you think something might drop? Any minute to at some point tomorrow? I think it – no, from what I learned covering like the trade deadline in the NBA, NFL, everything usually goes down to like the wire. So I would tell everybody to kind of relax today because I do think that you know, the NFL and all these people are like procrastinators. They're like people in high school when you guys turn in a final or something, turn in a final paper. You never write it or never do it until you have to do it at the last second. And that's why I think if something does happen, it'll be tomorrow closer to 4 p.m. All right. I'm, I'm guessing by what you said a little bit earlier, if you were going to have an outcome prediction, is it PUP for the first four weeks for Jonathan Taylor in a Colts uniform or outside of a Colts uniform but still on the, the roster? Oh, man, that's a good question. I'm going to say yes. Yeah. We'll see. I don't know. Because I, I just, I mean, like, I don't see how. Hey, you, you, you can make a prediction here and just blame this crap on me. Just say, no, you can blame it. You can blame that on me. Defense. Yeah. It's just that I don't see the benefit of not being healthy at all or not being able to prove that you're healthy at all. Unless you just wanted to hold out without getting fined. But, I mean, uh, my guess is that he's legitimately hurt. And we'll find out again tomorrow how hurt he is. Um, and if he has to miss those first four games. I just, as far as if he really legitimately is hurt, 
and then trying to you know get an extension done while you're hurt, still under contract for a final year, I wouldn't think that he or they would want that particular look, James. No, not at all. But I think that he would would want a lot of money. It's like anybody. You want the money until you got to prove, like, how, you know, if you can do the job, right? So I think that that's probably the lane that he's in. But, again, a lot of it is so weird to even talk about because we just haven't heard from JT himself. And I think that, you know, whether he's talking here in a Colts uniform or somewhere else, it'll be great to finally hear from him at some point to get to the bottom of all of this because we haven't talked to this guy in months. Yeah, it's uh, James Boyd. Hopefully you get that opportunity relatively soon. The Athletic, he's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. All right, man, we'll talk to you again soon. We'll see you in studio at some point. Are you in here this week? I'm there tomorrow. Oh, hell, I'll see you tomorrow then. Yeah, I'm fingers crossed that if something happens, it doesn't happen during the show. But if it does happen, <laughs> I have both versions written, JMV. Oh, you do? I'm ready. That's going above yeah. and beyond right there. <laughs> That's above and beyond. That's you good gotta work. Be prepared, man. <laughs> All right, I'll see you tomorrow, James. Appreciate you. All right, have a good one. It's a James Boyd. Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairgrounds. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com.